0: Welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, your one-stop shop for expert advice on the smart way to get in. My name is Ellen and in each episode I'll bring you an interview with a former admissions officer, a graduate of top college, or an admissions expert. These interviews will take you inside the admissions office and will be full of behind the scenes knowledge, first-hand experiences, and application tips to help you get into your dream school. If you'd like to chat with one of these experts, you can sign up for a free consultation at the link in the description of this episode. Today, we'll hear from Erin Gu, Ingenious Prep's Chief Education Officer, about the trends she saw in the 2021-2022 to college admission cycle and what she expects for the class of 2023. Hi Erin, how are you today? Hi Alan, it's great to be with you. So could you just tell me a little bit more about yourself? What is your role here at Ingenious Prep entail? Um, So I'm the chief education officer here at Ingenius, which means I oversee all of our counseling work with students
1: and make sure we're staying up to date with the latest admissions trend. And we're providing the most professional and on-point advice for all of our students. I went to Dartmouth College. And went to high school from the D.C. area. And when I applied to college, I did it on my own. I didn't know admissions counseling existed, and so I I feel like if I had gotten some help, it would have been really nice because um, it was really lonely. Sort of trying to, trying to uh, navigate everything by myself, and also not understanding a lot of the details. And then I went to Harvard Graduate School of Education for my master's in education, and taught in a Boston high school for a few years before um, joining Genius. In ingenious early days. Um, So I've been here for almost 10 years.
0: Now, what were your expectations for this past 2021-2022 admission cycle? And then were there any changes that you didn't foresee that were surprises? The 2020
1: to 2021 admission cycle, which is the one before, so that's the first admission cycle with COVID impact, it was significantly more competitive than the year before. Um, And so that was something that people had not seen. And so for this past year, we anticipated, you know, things would probably be similar to how things were in the first COVID year. But it turns out to be actually notably more competitive than the first COVID year, Um, and especially for schools that are sort of in the top 15 to top 50 range. Um, So not, you know, at the very, very top level, because- You know, your admissions rates could only go down so low, but for sort of the the other good schools um, in the top 50, they saw increased application again and uh, lower admits rates. Um, so it was notably more competitive this past year.
0: And I know that you and your team have been doing a lot of data analysis. So what have been the primary admissions trends that you've been able to identify?
1: Outside of the just uber competitiveness that everybody sort of knows about, um, what we saw was that colleges are making an effort to diversify where they're recruiting students from. Um, So instead of focusing on their traditional schools, high schools where they recruit a lot of students from, um, they're reducing those numbers and trying to get students from a wider variety of high schools. Um, High schools maybe they historically had not admitted any students from or high schools in different a part of the country or part of the world that they hadn't had students from before. So we saw that, um, you know, top high schools still had good successes, but there were fewer students um, getting into top colleges compared to previous years. In fact, um, actually, we had one of our students who goes to a public magnet program Um, In the Northeast, um, tell us um, New York University, NYU, usually takes about uh, over 100 students um, from their high school, only took 11 this year. Um, And University of Michigan, which usually takes about 30 students from their school, only took four. Um, So this is pretty extreme in terms of the reduction that we saw from the college side. Um, And what this means is that there's increased variance uh, or uncertainty among the students' results, um, and things are becoming even more unpredictable than before.
0: And what is the role of test optional and test by policies in the past admission cycle? Has it changed since the previous one? How has it affected this admission cycle? For the past admission cycles, the 2021
1: to 2022 cycle, there was not a lot of changes in test optional policies. Um, so most universities were still um, test optional. Um, what we did see, though, was that more and more students were applying with a score. Um, and so colleges reported um, students, you know, about 50%, if, if not higher students um, applying with a score, and especially students who were admitted, definitely more than 50% had a score with them um, when they applied. But the test optional policy remained it means that it continued to allow many, many students to apply. Um, so that's why the application numbers and the student numbers for application uh, increased again last year but with more students applying to schools with the score um, you know there's also sort of a trend of of the scores moving up and we we also see colleges using the score as a way to sort of Uh, potentially increase their average uh, for admitted students. Um, For example, NYU um, reported that their admitted student median SAT score was a 1550, uh, which is just crazy, right? That means uh, half the students scored higher than that and half scored lower than that, of course, excluding students who applied without a score. But for reference, NYU's SAT score was probably in the 1430s, 1450s, just two years ago.
0: And what has the role been of early versus regular decision rounds? Have we seen some changes in that strategy? So what we saw this year
1: was that for regular round, the competition's definitely much more fierce um, for, especially at the very, very many sort of top universities. Um, So for example, um, we saw with our own students that they were sort of twice as likely to be admitted to Brown early decision than regular decision, three times more likely to be admitted to UPenn early decision than our regular decision, and then four times more likely to be admitted to Duke early versus regular. And and University of Chicago, which has always sort of recruited a lot of their students from their early decision rounds, uh, so both round one and round two, um, probably recruited maybe we're guessing about 90% of their class through early decision one or early decision two, which means that there was really no chance to be admitted via a regular decision at U Chicago. So what this means is that if students are hoping for one of these schools or they're aiming for one of these schools or uh, this is like one of their dream schools, um, then they really should have missed the chance to apply early decision. Because if you don't apply early decision, uh, you might end up missing out not only at these schools, but also at other great schools to regular decision round just because the, the competition is so much fiercer.
0: And strategically, how do students decide if the early decision school they're applying to is a good choice versus if it's too, like way too much of a reach and they're kind of wasting the opportunity?
1: Yeah. um, So that's a great question. I think that is that is one that every student struggles with. Um, I think there are a couple of different things to keep in mind. So. One is to make sure that you really understand your own strengths and weaknesses uh, in this process. Um, so trying to be objective as possible or getting feedback from others, um, people who are experts and professionals who have seen a lot of students to who can offer insights into your relatively competitiveness. And then second, you want to make sure you're not wasting the, the, the opportunity by aiming too high, you know, so... A student who might get into a school early decision, maybe to Emory, you know, ends up choosing to try early decision to Cornell. They don't get in. um, And then they apply to Emory regular decision. They probably don't get in either. But if they had applied to early decision to Emory, um, they would have gotten in. Right. So we see that among our students, students with similar profiles make different choices for their early decision schools, they end up at different places um, in the end. So it is really important um, to choose wisely. Um, Obviously, early decision is binding, so you want to make sure you're happy with the choice uh, if you were admitted. So don't want you to apply to a school that you're going to be unhappy at. But at the same time, uh, it is really important to not sort of aim too high um, and sort of waste the opportunity, uh, especially if there are specific things about your profile that would make you unqualified, especially, you know, academic records, you know, if you have grades that just aren't going to be competitive at those top colleges, then it's going to be really, really hard. um, And it would be more like a, a wasted opportunity if you were to apply.
0: And we know that some majors are more competitive than others for students to apply to. Is that another trend that you saw this year? Are there specific majors that have been even more competitive for students to apply to?
1: Yeah, this is something we analyzed with our data, with our own students. Um, we wanted to to see exactly that. So what we did see um, is that they are there are some majors that are notably more competitive. Um, so the first one is computer science. Um, computer science is hands down the most competitive major out of all the options, and students who um, who apply through this major. need to have so much more profile a higher profile to get into the same caliber of school Um, the second uh, major that is also a little bit more competitive is uh, pre-med public health biology Um, it's also very competitive not as bad as computer science but they are also looking for students who are really really top-notch and so students applying for this majors right if you are dead set um, on those, pursuing those majors in college, it's better to adjust your school list or fan them accordingly um, so that you have more options. Um, so for example, if we had like two students with the same exact profile, right? Everything is the same. One applying to CS major and one is not. The CS student would get into fewer places and would not have as many successes as the non-CS student. Um, and that's just the fact of the landscape
0: hard to imagine that it could get even more competitive. I mean, considering that Harvard has like a 3% acceptance rates. Um, but do you think there's still room for those acceptance rates to drop? Do you think it'll be some level of comfort? So,
1: it's hard to predict 100%. I think at the very top schools, you probably will see similar numbers for next year, um, right? Because it's really hard to get much lower than 3%. Um, But it's possible because we are now in a sort of a vicious cycle, I would say. Um, Because there is an increased uncertainty on the results, students and families are compensating for that by diversifying where they're applying to. So, you know, our students a couple of years ago um, used to apply to about 10 schools with us and on their own, right? In total, they apply about 10 schools um, and they were good with that. And they got enough offers in the end to choose from. Um, but now our students are all asking us to help them with 15, even maybe even 20 schools. Um, so they're increasing the number of schools that they are applying to, which means that there's more applications at every institution, which then further drives down the acceptance rates. We don't know when that cycle is going to stop, but it is definitely possible for rates to continue to drop at especially particular institutions.
0: Have you noticed admissions trends specific to, for example, the coalition app, the common app specific to like the top 10, the IVs, the top 30? Are there some distinctions between the admissions trends in these different groupings? We didn't see any differences
1: between the format of the application. So KAMAC versus coalition didn't seem to have played a role. In terms of the, the tiers of schools, we did look at different, uh, a few different factors because we were curious to see how they influence results at the top. Um, and what we saw was at you know, top 10 or to top 20 schools, um, factors like student citizenship status, because we work with a lot of domestic students, but also international students um, and students who are studying in the US versus abroad uh, tended to have more of a role uh, in the results at the top 10 to 20 schools. And an increase of uh, the impact of these factors though Does decrease as you move down to sort of the top 50 schools. Um, It seems like those schools are much more friendly and these factors matter less. So that's a trend we saw.
0: And there'll be a lot of changes regarding the UCs as well. Could you kind of explain to everyone what those changes are?
1: Yes. So the University of California system are mandated by their state policies to increase the in-state student population on their campuses, um, which means that they're decreasing their out-of-state and international student on their campuses, uh, effective this upcoming admission cycle. But we already started to see the some of the results of maybe these schools preparing for that change this past cycle. Um, so we are anticipating things will be more difficult this upcoming year. But at the same time, what we saw was that they were particularly more competitive at uh, the mid-tier UC schools. So UC Irvine, San Diego, Santa Barbara and Davis, these four in particular um, so our students who had the same profile as students who applied years prior which would have gotten in if they applied the year before did not this year get the offers um, so there is definitely a difference um, you know these are students who again bring about the same things to the table um, and just a year before they would have gotten in but this year they didn't um, so we anticipate that, you know, it will be much harder this upcoming cycle as well.
0: And how have our students fared compared to the larger population of applicants during this past admission cycle?
1: Yeah, we're really happy and very proud to say that our students still saw a lot of great successes. Um, so, for example, we had uh, 80, 82 students um, who got admitted to their school in the early round. So that includes, you know, the REA schools like Harvard, Yale, Princeton, um, Stanford, as well as MIT and Caltech. And then, of course, all of the early decision one um, and early decision two schools. Um, We had, um, you know, almost 50 students get offers from Ivy League schools um, and we had um, more than 200 students get offers from top 30 schools. Um, so these are all really great results, which uh, was really we're really proud of. And these ha- students are very happy where they're, where they're going to and excited for where they're ending up uh, in, in the fall. And
0: are there specific admissions trends that we've seen for international students? There are, there are two, two things um, about that. So most universities
1: have not significantly changed their international student recruitment overall. Um, There does seem to be a little bit of um, a shift maybe within the international uh, geopolitical sphere, um, some shifts um, away from uh, maybe China in particular, um, big students from from China. Um, They're emitting fewer, maybe 10%, 10 to 20% fewer students For the UCs, obviously, they're going to be impacted because they're reducing overall international students overall. And so it is more competitive for international students. And um, so that is something that we're seeing, but that's always been the case, right? Things are always more competitive for international students because at these colleges, they're looking at, you know, maybe uh, 10 to 15, maybe maximum 20% of their student population to be uh, international students, which means, you know, the vast majority, 80, 90% of the students are uh, domestic students.
0: Looking forward into the 2022 2023 admissions cycle, what is your forecast? You know, what trends do you think are here to stay? Which ones are going to start dissipating? Maybe will they even disappear?
1: Yeah. Um, So we do think that the application numbers will continue um, and they'll probably continue to rise slowly. So, along with that, admissions rates will drop. Um, We have also seen Uh, Some schools have been over-enrolling their freshman classes in the past two years, uh, which means that uh, they are their own predictive models for how many students will accept their offers uh, are no longer accurate. So colleges are trying to catch up, which also means that they are going to be more conservative next year um, with the the number of offers uh, that they're giving out. Right. Because they they don't want to over-enroll again, because then it will be a problem. on their campus to accommodate all those students. I think that test optional policies will stay for the most part, um, but we will see more and more students applying with a score. Um, So so that is definitely in a trend. Um, So students who are applying without a score, I think that proportion of students will be decreasing.
0: And then which schools are moving away from test optional policies? Cause we know that some schools are like some specific kinds of schools. So which schools are those?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So Um, We already know from last year that the colleges in Georgia and Florida, these two states, are requiring the testing. Um, So that includes uh, popular ones like Georgia Tech and University of Florida. Um, So all of those schools are requiring uh, standardized testing as part of their application process. Um, And then the other one that's a relatively new and big announcement is in, uh, I think, April, uh, MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Announced that they will now be requiring SAT scores again. Um, so, so they are the first sort of institution at the top um, that has announced this. I don't think that it's going to be a big trend. Um, it's not like the test optional policy where you had a few colleges do that and sort of everybody follows suit. We think that most institutions probably won't be requiring testing, it's especially not the cycle. And uh, But we do think that more students are going to be applying with a score. I think the colleges will want the option to say, hey, it's test optional. But in reality, more and more students will be applying with a score. Do
0: you think COVID is still impacting admissions? And are we getting closer to normal either way?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that is a really good question. I think In terms of COVID impact, it is still impacting some testing opportunities for students depending on their state um, or location, but it's definitely less so than two years ago. And things are generally closer to normal. You know, I think what we'll see staying is that some online webinars and outreach and things like that will continue at the institutions because it's been really easy for them and they've been able to reach much wider audience as a result. Um, We have seen admissions offices starting to travel again to visit high schools um, like they used to before. So that is something that's sort of coming back to normal, Um, but they're not going to be relying 100% on that recruitment effort. They're going to keep sort of the online operation going as well. And so those are indicators that things are sort of returning in a way, but in terms of statistics and the data, um, we don't think that admissions Competitiveness is returning to 2019. Um, I think that era has passed um, and we're moving forward. Um, And and again, as I mentioned, colleges are also trying to uh, uh, figure out their predictive models of how many offers they need to give out in order to enroll their class.
0: With all this uncertainty and this increased competitiveness, how do you recommend that students adjust their application strategy, including their school list, so that they are just taking a little bit? less risks. We
1: mentioned, you know, the advantage of applying early to a school that is both a really exciting option for you, but also potentially an option that is somewhat within reach, um, right? You don't want to lose your best shot at a place that you really have no chance at. And really understanding your own sort of strengths and weaknesses, be as objective as possible, understand your competition, especially if you're going to a really competitive, high quality high school um, with the trend of colleges potentially admitting fewer students from those schools. It's important that you understand who you're competing against um, and your classmates and do your due diligence and research, right? You basically, at the end of the day, you're making an argument to the school to say why both you and the school are the perfect match for each other. Um, And so you kind of need to have points to be made there, right, for making your argument so that you can convince the admissions committee that you are going to contribute positively to their campus and that you and their campus is sort of the best match possible. We totally understand, though, that some students just want to give a top school a try, right, even though they know (laughs) that they don't really have a good shot at it. Um, We would recommend that, Um, you know, if that's the case, um, then to really think about whether you want to apply early versus regular, right, regular decision, you can still apply to that school as well. And especially at the very, very top, you know, like uh, the Stanford, um, there's really not not a whole lot of a difference between applying REA versus regular decision. Um, So that's something to think about. But um, I would say, like, generally, admissions is not like uh, shoot for the moon. If you miss, you'll land among the stars, unfortunately. Um, It's more like shoot for the moon, and you might really just fall back to down to Earth. Um, And so there's not much that's catching you in between. Um, And so, you know, to continue the analogy, I guess, um, maybe it's better to aim for the Carmen line, I think it's called the space line, so the line above the earth where it separates through the earth atmosphere and the outer space. Um, So, you know, aim for that. Um, And then you might just get into outer space, um, like Jeff Bezos did on his balloon origin flight um, last year. So something to think about, uh, making sure that you really understand, um, you don't want to underestimate yourself. You don't want to overestimate yourself. So really accurate evaluation of all the things that you are bringing to the table and understanding which parts are your own strengths and which parts you want to sort of bring out and make sure it shines in your application is going to be really, really important.
0: And do you have any other final words of wisdom for students, their families, for college counselors? Um, Yeah, I think with
1: increased uncertainty in the landscape, I think we all should just be I guess try our best to be nicer to ourselves and to each other, um, and be more understanding that a lot of this process is really out of our hands and out of our control. Um, what happens inside admissions offices, um, you know, we don't influence those uh, those decisions directly, um, and a lot of times that there are reasons beyond our control that are dictating which students get admitted and which ones are not. Um, and so it is not fair, especially for students to think about the results as a way to to measure who they are as people and um, as, a, as a way to understand their value because everybody brings something great to the table. And just because one particular school or two particular schools didn't admit you, this cycle does not mean you're a bad person or that all of the efforts that you've put in over the years are totally gone to waste, because you are still a great student, and that your sort of learning and knowledge and skills are going to be with you the rest of your life. And, you know, for for somebody as as old as me, quote, unquote, to say that that college is really only just, you know, sort of the beginning of your real your 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 the rest of your life. And we know people who go to great colleges who end up not having a very happy life and people who do the opposite right and maybe they didn't start at the very top but you know end up at a really good place uh, later in life it really just it's a long game so so give yourself a little bit more patience and then also us each other right so students and families and also college counseling counselors um, i think just a little bit of grace all around will be would help us get through this uncertainty together
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Aaron. I'm sure our listeners appreciate your insight into the 2021 to 2022 college admissions cycle. For more information, check out our blog linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, go ahead and give us a follow and send us a message on social media with the hashtag #InsightAdmissions. That's all for now. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.